First John chapter four. Also, I need Brother Colin, Brother Joseph to help help me do something here. finished up with Gideon and now um, felt led by the Lord to go into 1 John chapter 4. So we're just going to start working through um, this chapter of, um, of God's Word here. And I know that the, there's always a time crunch on Sunday morning. And so I was trying to, you know, see where God wanted me to go and see if, you know, maybe I could go through the first two or three verses. Well, I got into verse 1 and I got in, in trouble in a good way. Um, the Lord was uh, just so rich in blessing me through his word and, and, and going through. And so we're going to work through just this one verse of scripture here this morning. But I've, I've got a lot of cross references and I want to um, I want to make sure as I'm going through that I'm not saying them too fast and that they're not, you know, you're not able to write them down. And so just want you to have this here to be able to, to so that you can go back on your own time through the week or whenever it may be and just, um, you know, look and see what God's word has to say. Paul said that I didn't fail to give you the whole counsel of God. And I think that whenever we come to serve certain um, issues in scripture, we need to make sure that we're giving the full counsel of God on um, that particular doctrine. And so just want to be able to kind of help stimulate some, some personal time of growth and devotion um, through this. So First uh, John chapter one, we're, or, excuse me, first John chapter four, we're going to be looking primarily at verse one, but I want to start reading first John chapter three, and I want to read verse 24 and then read down through verse 6 of chapter 4 just for the sake of context. So 1 John chapter 3 starting in verse number 24 it says and he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. Beloved believe not every spirit but try the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone out into the world Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. This is how you know. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world." year of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray over the word, God. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for your spirit. God, I'm so thankful, Lord, that you have equipped us, Lord, in this evil day to be able to withstand any trick of the enemy that he may send our way. God, you have empowered us, Lord, by the work of your spirit. God, we are people of your spirit. And I pray this morning, Lord, let your word be unleashed in our lives. God, don't let this just be something, Lord, that we just hold in our minds, God. But let it be something, Lord, that we flesh out, that we live out every day of our lives. God, let us walk in discernment. God, give us, Lord, wisdom, God, as we go out. 
And Lord, we'll do all these things for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. My title here this morning is simply discernment. The writings of John, whether it's in his gospel or in this epistle here that we just read, they've always been of great interest to Christians throughout the ages. If you look, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're, they're classified together. They're known as the synoptic gospels. The reason for this is just because they have a similarity in the way that the story of Jesus Christ unfolds. But John's gospel, it it somewhat stands alone. I'm not implying to you that it tells a different story. I'm just saying that it, it the story unfolds in a different pattern. And so we see... As, as John opens his gospel from the very beginning, in many of the other gospels, you, you hear about Mary and Joseph and, and the angel coming to Mary. But with John, it's a little bit different. In John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the song that we just sang said, and that Word had a name, and his name was Jesus. And John goes on in verse number 14, and he says that the Word it was made flesh and it dwelt among us and we beheld the glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth and so as John begins to write under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost we see that there's this transformation that's happening in John's life it's very interesting to note that in John's early years he had a nickname and it wasn't a very pleasing nickname he was known as a son of thunder. I've joked around with my Sunday school class, but a son of thunder, it sounds like that, that John wasn't a disciple, but rather that he was the member of a biker gang or something like that. He was a son of thunder. He was given to anger. If you go to Luke chapter 9, you see that Jesus goes through this Samaritan village, and the Samaritan village wants nothing to do with Jesus. And so James and John, as their nicknames brought out, they said, well, Lord, just bring down hellfire and brimstone and just wipe them all out. And Jesus said, hold on just a second, John, hold on just a second. And yet, as he writes these epistles now, the chapter, the short portion that we just read, he has a different nickname. That is the apostle of love. The radical change, how did that happen? Well, it happened because he spent three years with Jesus Christ. It happened because on the day of Pentecost, he was filled with the Holy Ghost, and there was an ongoing work of the Spirit in his life. Not just that initial point of salvation, but there was an ongoing work, a daily change. And so John, who was once given to anger and malice, and and Lord, bring down hellfire and brimstone now, He's saying things like, if you don't love your brother, then you're walking in darkness. John's Christianity, it was, it was apparent to all those who were around him. They, they said, something's changed in your life. There's something different about you. The way that you walk and you talk, there's a noticeable difference. And that is what we, brothers and sisters, must pursue in our own life. A lifelong pursuit of holiness is our primary response to God saving us. That's it. That's, that is the sole pursuit of our life. Ephesians chapter 1, he goes in and he said, God saved you to make you holy. 
He didn't save you to just get you into heaven. Oh, good. Everything's going to be all right. I'm just going to wait for the Lord to come back. No, he saved you in order to make you holy so that one day whenever he's presented the bride of Christ, when the church comes before him, he sees now a bride who is pure and who is holy. And so that should be the chief pursuit of our life is a life given to holiness. And so John begins to write out in this epistle, 1 John, and, and, and the, the theme of this entire book here of 1 John is the marks of a true believer. That's what the whole book is about. And so we begin to see as he goes through chapter by chapter, he tells us, he tells us a child of God has fellowship with God. A child of God avoids habitual sin. A child of God walks as Jesus walked. A, a child of God loves his brother and loves his sister. There's no love for the world in his life. And he goes on point by point by point. All of these qualities should be found in the life of a Christian. Essentially, they're our, our spiritual report card. They're a chance for us to be able to look in the mirror of Scripture and say, does my life line up with what I profess? Am I a Christian in name only, or is this something that I live out on a day-by-day basis? That's what John is getting at. And so chapter 4, he just continues in this same theme, and now he gives us two specific hallmarks of what a Christian's life should look like. That is discernment and that is love. And so we would say if we call ourselves Christians, if we say that we're spirit-filled believers of Jesus Christ, then these two things have got to mark our lives. Verse 1, it tells us straight away, it tells us about the issue of discernment. And I want to talk to you about that this morning. What is discernment and who is it for? He tells us instantly, he says, try the spirits. 1 John 3, it ends with talking about the Holy Ghost. It talks about us being spirit-filled believers, but then it contrasts and it goes over and it says, you need to try the spirits because there are many false prophets that have gone out. The word try there, if you look at in, at in the original languages, it, it simply means to test, to examine, to prove, to, to weigh something out. There's a word picture that's going on here, in fact, and that is the testing of a metal. And we know that you test these metals through fire and you see, is that real gold or is that fool's gold? And that is what God can do in our own lives. Paul brings that word picture out to bear in 1 Corinthians 3 and 13. He says, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try, that's the exact same word in 1 John 4, 1, that fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And so here we see this word picture of the fire testing that metal, the fire testing our works. And so what John is telling us is he's saying the same judgment that God is going to use one day in your life, I want you to use that same judgment to say, is this a false prophet or is this a true prophet of God? That's what he's calling us to. But this extensive testing, it can only be done if, if you have the gift of discernment, right? Or, or maybe if you're just the pastor, or, or maybe if you're a spiritual leader, then you can discern. Or maybe you're a conference preacher, or maybe you're just a, a member of the spiritual elite. Maybe those are the only ones that John's talking to, right? Look there at the first verse, the first word of that verse, beloved. 
not pastor, not elder, everyone. Everyone, he is saying, needs to be given to discernment. Even the youngest child here today is learning about Noah's Ark and Jonah and the whale. Why? Because we're building a foundation so that whenever it comes down the years and they get in college and, and they say, you don't really believe that story about Jonah and the whale. Do You don't really believe about Noah and the ark. So, oh yeah, I've been learning that from birth. God has been giving me and putting these things inside of me so that one day whenever I would hear the false teacher come, I would say, you know what? That doesn't weigh just right with what I've been taught. Taught. That doesn't stand the test of the fire of what God is sending in my life. Now, there are certainly levels of discernment. It's, it's very easy for us to look at, at men like, I'll just say their names, Joel Osteen, Kenneth Copeland, to hear them come out and they preach the prosperity gospel. It, it's very easy for us to say and look at that and say, you know what, that's not really, we know that's not the truth. But there are times where there are more nuanced heresies that, that sometimes they're more difficult to discern. And that is certainly where we have pastors and leaders that are given to higher levels of discernment. But he's saying, beloved, he's saying, everyone, believe not the spirits and try them. This isn't a message just for the top, just for the leaders. This is something that everyone has to hear. John is calling all of us, try the spirits. No one is left out from this charge. There are some translations that, that, that interpret that beloved. They just say, dear friends, dear friends, all who read this letter are called to discernment. And this is such an important point because in our Pentecostal circles, we have a tendency to elevate me. And, oh, he has the gift of healing. He has the gift of prophecy. He has the gift of discernment. And what we do is, is we say, well, since he has that gift, I'm going to let him do that, and I'm just going to negate my responsibility. That is not what God has called us to. That is not what John is saying. He's saying every single one of you try the spirits. And so we have to remember, we're called to have a childlike faith, but we're not called to be children we're not to be gullible whenever it comes to the testing of the spirits. We're not to be lazy whenever it comes to this. Notice what the Berean believers did in Acts chapter 17. What a powerful example these Christians were. Acts chapter 17 verses 10 and 11. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas. Okay, Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither into the synagogue of the Jews... These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So the Bible tells us they were ready to hear Paul and Silas. They had a readiness of mind. They said, give me the word, preach the word. I want to hear that word. They were ready to hear that. But then what else did they do? They searched the scripture to see if what Paul and Silas was saying was true. Now, they weren't cynical. They weren't malicious in the way that they searched the Scripture. They didn't say, no, Paul, hold on. Yeah, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Let me see what the Bible says. No, they, had, they came about it with the right attitude, but they said, you know what? I'm going to test this with Scripture. It, it kind of makes you think. Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians 5. He wrote that, that letter right around the same time that he went to Berea, whether it was before or after, not entirely for sure. But 1 Thessalonians 5 and 21 says, Prove all things. 
So it may have just been that they had read what Paul said to the Thessalonians and was saying, well, if Paul told us to prove all things, we are going to prove all things. Now, this statement has been said repeatedly, but if the Bereans were testing Paul, then you should certainly be testing me. You certainly should be testing that preacher on YouTube that's your favorite preacher. You should certainly be testing that preacher that you've heard preach on the radio. If the Bereans tested Paul, then you need to be testing those who are speaking spiritual things into your life as well. 1 Corinthians 14, whenever Paul's talking about the spiritual gifts, what does he say? He said, let the prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. Let him judge. What does he say? Is it true? And so the word judge there, it's a synonym for the word that we came across, try. It's the same thing, weigh. Go through it and see, is what he's saying? He says he's a prophet. He says that he has supernatural giftings, but is what he's saying the truth? Not being cynical, not being malicious. I'm just holding it up to the standard that God has given to me. So discernment it is necessary, and it's for everyone. But why discernment? Why? Isn't the church, shouldn't this be a place of safety, a safe place, as we say these days? Why did the Bereans feel the need to, to fact-check Paul? Shouldn't we be able to just let our guard down? We're, we're all here together. We're family. We're, shouldn't we just be able to let our guards down and just be able to just hear the word? Is discernment really necessary? Well, the answer to this question takes us all the way back to the very beginning of God's word in Genesis chapter 3. Because Eden was a safe place, right? Genesis, it tells us the story, the beautiful garden, the majestic beauty and glory of being able to go in and God comes down and he visits with Adam and Eve and they're taking care of the garden, and yet, in Genesis chapter 3, the story shifts and we're introduced to that old serpent, Lucifer. And so, through a series of lies and half-truths, what does he do? He convinces Eve, and as a result, Adam, and, and they eat of the fruit, the specific tree that God told them not to eat from. And we can clearly see that Adam and Eve, they weren't practicing discernment when Satan was working out his evil scheme. And that is the reason why we must be diligent in defending our souls. Peter says, your adversary is like a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. Then Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 2 and he says, look, we don't have to be ignorant of his devices. We know his plan. We know what he's going to do. We know where he's going to try to interject and come in. And so we see first that discernment is necessary because Satan is a master of deception. He's a master of deception. His lies are, are full of just enough truth to where you think, maybe that is the truth. Maybe that is the way. Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. For God does know that in the day that you eat thereof, that your eyes shall be opened. That was true. That was true. 
And you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. That was true as well. They were going to know good and evil just as God did. The the serpent was not lying to her in that point. But what he was doing is is he had this subtle little scheme and he was going to go in because Lucifer, Satan, he knew what God had told them not to eat from. And he said, anything I can do to be able to tempt them, to be able to persuade them to go in the opposite direction of what God has told them, that is where I'm going to set my trap. And so the Bible says that Eve looked at that fruit, and the Bible says that it was pleasant to her eyes, and she fell headlong into Satan's trap. Because whenever it comes to spiritual matters, guess what? If it looks good, if it feels good, if it sounds good, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's from God. Listen to this quote. I believe if you keep your faith, you keep your trust, you keep the right attitude, if you're grateful, then you'll see God open up new doors. That sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds fantastic. But it's not always true. It's not always true. I'm sure that that Paul, he had a right attitude. He was grateful, but his head still got chopped off. That wasn't necessarily the door that Paul wanted to have open to him. He wanted to go and and preach in Rome and have great revival in Rome. God, why did you allow Paul to have his head chopped off? There could have been great revival. We could have day of Pentecost number two in the middle of Rome, and, and Nero could have been filled with the Holy Ghost. God, why didn't you do that? Because God's plan and purpose is so much greater than I believe if you keep your trust and have the right attitude, God is going to open doors. Everything's just going to be okay. Well, sometimes things aren't going to be okay. But whenever you come into a situation and you think, well, I've got a good attitude. I've been doing everything right. Well, what happens whenever the Germans bring in Riley and Riley's just hit her head and she has to have emergency surgery? We say, God, we don't know why you're doing this, but we're trusting in you. We're we're believing that you're going to be able to work in any situation. And every single one of you can think back in situations of your life where you may have had the right attitude, you had the right outlook, and something happened, and you were like, God, where are you at? Why is this happening the way that this is happening? We've got to remember, just because it feels good, just because it looks good, Eve, don't go after the fruit. And so we've got to make sure that, that we have a biblical idea of what the situation of how God is wanting us to go through something. The second reason that we must be discerning is because false teaching is rampant in a way that it has never been in human history. Never before in human history have there been so many voices speaking so many different things. And please hear me, just because it's on Holy Ghost Radio, you still have to be discerning. You still have to be discerning. Acts 17, the the Bereans, they tested Paul, but they said, you know what? Holy Ghost Radio is fine, okay? Don't need to test Holy Ghost Radio. No, anytime anyone speaks, as I'm speaking right now, you need to have your Bibles open and looking and seeing, is, is what Brother Justin telling me the truth? John says this in 2 John 1 and 7. He said, many deceivers are entered into the world. There are many who are out there who want to deceive you. There is a false prophet on every corner of the internet. And if you're not paying attention to what he's saying, to what he's telling you, then guess what? You're going to go in a wrong direction. And so it's got to be, I am putting these things to the test. Don't elevate any preacher to a point to where that they can speak in contradiction to God's word and you think, well, well, he just has a higher revelation. No, he doesn't. He has a revelation from Satan and you would say, I'm not going to hear your word. If it doesn't line up with this book, I don't want to hear what you have to say. 
False doctrine is rampant, even more rampant than whenever John was writing this epistle. So it's even more imperative that we're holding on to this truth of what John has called to us. The third reason is that that there are false doctrines and they spread like dangerous diseases. 2 Timothy 2 and 17, Paul says that their talk will spread like gangrene. Now, I'm sure that many of you, I know it's almost lunchtime, have have seen a non-healing wound before at some point in your life. And that's the, the comparison that Paul makes. He said the heresy of Hymenaeus and Philetus in the church at Ephesus, he said it is, their, their talk is spreading like gangrene throughout the church. And there's only one remedy. Us medical folks, we know what the remedy is for gangrene. It's amputate. Amputate. Get rid of that false doctrine. Get that thing out of your life. Whenever you begin to see just a small little diabetic foot ulcer, guess what? It can grow and it can fester and it can get to a point where the antibiotics aren't going to help anymore. The only intervention is to cut that thing off. And so with false doctrine, that's got to be what we say. I don't want to hear it. I don't want those things in my mind. I don't want to have any contact with those things. Because he said those, it will spread in the church. Now, we medical folks, we know that a diabetic foot ulcer, that's not necessarily contagious. But Paul says that, that these false doctrines, they have a tendency to get in the church and then they begin to spread. And so what does he do? In 1 Timothy 1, he said, I turned over Hymenaeus and Alexander to Satan so that they would learn not to go against the things of God. And so that's got to be our attitude at the, at the just the small, we see, oh, that, that small little, it'll be okay. No, it's not going to be okay. Get rid of that thing that's discernment the wages of sin is always is always death in Ephesus Paul was dealing with false doctrine but think about with John think about the fact that he was around Judas every single day and they walked with Jesus and John could see firsthand what the impact of sin that little diabetic foot ulcer he could see it grow and fester until we know the end of what Judas what his life was The wages of sin is always death. Another reason why we must practice discernment is because Satan loves to disguise himself in the supernatural. Mark 13 and 22, For false Christ and false prophets shall rise, and they shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. So, as spirit-filled believers who A thousand percent, I know that God cures cancer. He cures every physical disease. There is nothing too great for God. God can raise the dead. I believe that one thousand percent. But guess what? Pharaoh's magicians could do the same thing that Moses and Aaron were doing early on. In 2 Corinthians 11, 13 and 14, Paul makes this alarming statement. He says, for such as false apostles, deceitful workers, they transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, don't be surprised, for Satan himself transformed into an angel of light. Just because you see a miraculous healing, that does not necessarily mean that that is a true prophet of God. There's a man, I found him on the internet, he's in Kenya, and he says that he is Jesus Christ. There's stories of him in his village of healing people, and and this is 100% serious. He turned water into tea at a wedding there in the village in Kenya. Well, let me tell you, even if he did turn water into tea, he is not Jesus Christ. 
He's not. Jesus said in Matthew 24, there's going to be many who are going to come, and they're going to say, oh, look, I am Christ. No, no, they're not. Church, you stay on the path. You stay. You don't follow after that person, but they turned water into wine. They healed people. That does not matter. Even Satan transformed himself into an angel of light. We believe in supernatural miracles, but they are not the litmus test for determining if a man is sent from God. Number five, if a man is preaching bad theology that contradicts the Bible, I don't care if he raises himself from the dead, that man is not from God. He's a false prophet. The next, another reason why we need discernment, Satan does not play fair. Now, this is interesting. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 2. He says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him, that you not be soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word. Now, listen to this. Nor by letter as from us. Nor by letter as from us. What's going on here? Paul is having to address this issue because there are false prophets who are sending false letters in his name and they're saying, oh yeah, this is a genuine letter from Paul. Now, we all know that the telemarketers, they like to give us a call from time to time and, and it was really easy back in the good old days to be able to say, oh, that's an area code, I don't recognize that, not answering. Well, now what do they do? Now they're calling from 334. And so you think, oh, that must be the doctor's office. That must be a coworker. I need to answer this. And you pick it up and, hey, I want you to extend your car's extended warranty. They're sneaky. They don't play fair. And neither does Satan. The church in Thessalonica, they were doing well. They had issues, of course, but they were going in the right direction. So, so Satan said, well, I've tried to do things that I've done in Corinth. I've tried to do things that I've done with them in Ephesus or Laodicea. I'm going to have to try something different. So let me make out this letter and send it to them, and maybe they'll follow this letter thinking that it is from Paul. He is going to hide under the guise of superficial spirituality and try to deceive you. So what is he going to say? The new birth message, it doesn't matter. Baptism is just a work. No, it's not. You don't really need the Holy Ghost. That was just for the early church. God doesn't do that stuff anymore. Holiness doesn't matter anymore. Let God be true and every man a liar. If it says it in God's word, if God has called us to the new birth, we follow in his plan. If God has called us to holiness, we follow in his plan. I don't care if a new book comes out. I don't care if a new perspective comes out. Oh, well, have you read this new book by Joseph Smith? Have you read the Book of Mormon? He saw an angel. He saw this. He saw that. No, it contradicts with this book. I don't care what his book has to say. It's a false letter, and Paul warned the Thessalonians of that. If it doesn't fall into place with Scripture, it has no place in your life. If, if a man comes with any other gospel, our Bible quizzers, any other gospel, Galatians 1, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. Don't listen to anyone who would try to give you another message because Satan is going to do everything in his power all the way down to sending the Thessalonians a fault. I mean, that is tricky. That's sneaky of Satan to do that. That's not fair. You've got to know what this book says so that whenever another message comes, you say, you know what? I've put enough of God's word in my mind to know something's not right here. There may have been some healing. There may have been something that, that you said. It might have sounded kind of good, but it doesn't line up with what God's word says. 
Next, speaking of not playing fair, it leads us into our next reason, and that is that Satan has moved his prophets into the flock. Matthew chapter 13, 24 through 25, another parable put he forth saying unto them, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. While men were sleeping, the enemy crept in and he planted some tares. Every church has tares. Every church and so the only way to be able to discern them is to, to look at the fruit of their life. Matthew 7, it comes down to the end. What kind of fruit is growing on your tree? Is it fruit of the flesh? Is it fruit of the spirit? What kind of fruit is growing? But then Matthew goes on. He tells us of another parable that Jesus said. And this should bring pause to all of us. Matthew 7 and 15, beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. This shows us the absolute necessity. Why? Because there's going to be prophets who are going to be coming in. They're going to be wearing the right sheep's clothing. They're going to be saying the right things, and, and yet they are inwardly ravening wolves who want to destroy your soul. The final reason we see is that we've got to practice discernment. And it's a union of all of these other reasons, and that's 1 Timothy 4. Now, the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devils. This isn't a war against flesh and blood. This isn't a war against whatever false teacher fill in the blank that it may be. This is literally a war against Satan himself and his demons that try to interject themselves into the church and they bring in these doctrines of demons. This is spiritual warfare. And sometimes I wish that we could just see, I wish we could see a, a picture of what that demon looks like who's trying to interject that doctrine because we wouldn't equivocate then. We wouldn't say, well, he's a nice guy. I mean, you know, just, he's, he's, he just needs a little help. He just needs to, to be brought along a little more. No, we would say there is a demon that is behind that false doctrine and I don't want any part of that. Many, many men have been deceived by that smile of Joel Osteen, right? But behind the smile of Joel Osteen, there's a demon that is working, that is, has a doctrine that's going forward, that is lying to people, that is giving them a false way to heaven and is deceiving people. And so we can't say, well, it's just a little sin. It's just a little false teaching. It's just a minor doctrinal disagreement. It's just a little leaven. Well, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A little sin can ruin your entire life. A little false doctrine can cause a church to come crumbling down on its head. We've got to know what's in the book. We have to test every spirit. But how do we do this? We've looked at what it is. We've looked at, at who should do it, and we've, we found out why we should do it. But how do we do it? Satan has a plan to destroy your soul you need to have a plan to preserve your soul. Brother JP brought this quote to my mind from that book uh, J.C. Ryle wrote that dad gave to all the fathers here in the church. Here's what J.C. Ryle said. You may be careless about your soul, but your enemy is not. Your enemy is not careless about your soul. You must have a plan, and it must be firmly rooted in God's word. The first step of that plan is found in Ephesians 4.14, that we henceforth be no more children, 
tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. There has got to be spiritual growth taking place in your life. You need to ask yourself, am I in the same place that I was in in January? Am I in the same place? Have I grown? Have I drawn myself closer to God? Do I know more about his word? Do I know what his voice sounds like? Is there growth taking place in your life? Because hear me, there is no defense if you are a child of the faith. Now, if we have brand new converts, that is something that we go alongside and we build them up. I'm talking to the folks that have been here forever and still have a childlike faith. We have to be brought up. We've got to make sure because there are doctrines of demons that are coming against us. And so we're going to have to mortify our flesh. We're going to have to turn off whatever you're streaming and get into God's word. You're going to have to spend some time with him in prayer and fasting. You're going to have to go buy K. Arthur's book, How to Study the Bible. You can get it for $4 on Amazon used. And go get you some colored pens from Ollie's and a wide margin Bible and mark that thing up until you hear the trumpet sound. Because what's going to happen, you're going to know when a false prophet comes because you're going to say, you know what? I've been spending some time in the Word. I know what this Word says and I know that's a false gospel and I'm not following after that. Next, look to 1 Thessalonians 5 and 21. We looked at the first half. Look at the second half of that verse. Hold fast to that which is good. Hold fast to those things. Treasure them. God has given us a treasure in earthen vessels, and we just treat it so callously. We, we, sometimes we're just not even concerned with the things of God. No, he's given us a treasure. He's given us the gospel. He's given us his spirit. Hold fast to that. Care for it. Keep it near yourself at all times. Paul says it like this in 1 Timothy 6 and 20. Oh, Timothy, keep that which has been committed to thy trust. The ESV, it says, guard the deposit. And that's what we have to do. We have to be serious about our calling. We have to, we have to guard it. To guard something means that, that you're taking care of it, that you're, you're over it. You're making sure that nobody's going to come in and to defile that thing. And so we've got to guard that if we don't prioritize, it's just going to fall into apathy. And that is exactly what Satan wants. The next way that we use discernment is in our everyday Christian walk. And that's found in 2 Timothy 1.14. He says, the good thing which was committed unto thee. How do you keep it? You keep it by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth within you. You have got to be filled with the Spirit. The practice of keeping and guarding and holding fast, that is absolutely essential. But guess what? It's enabled and it's empowered by the work of the Holy Ghost. Whenever you have the Holy Ghost working in your life, guess what? These words just begin to fly up off the page and begin to connect with your heart. Why? Paul said that the, the, the man, the carnal man, he only understands carnal things. But the spiritual man, when he's spiritually learned, when he's spirit-filled, whenever he reads God's word, guess what? It just sets a fire inside of him. And so we have to be filled with the spirit. We have to take up the sword of the spirit. How appropriate it is that as Paul lists out the, the articles of war there in Ephesians chapter 6, the one offensive weapon is dominated by the spirit and the word. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. you got to be filled with the spirit. 
And speaking of going on the offense, we also see in Jude chapter 3, we're told to earnestly contend for the faith. There's no time to sit on the sidelines. There's no time to say, you know what, I'm just going to, I'll sit this week out. I'll just see what's going to happen. No, earnestly contend for the faith. Spiritual growth. Hold fast. Guard the deposit. Be spirit-filled. Earnestly contend for the faith. Because whenever you begin to build discernment in your own life, what happens? You begin to see things in Younger Christians or in your younger children, you begin to see things that you say, we're not letting that in in our home. And they say, well, why? It's just whatever because because I can see what Satan is trying to do with that thing. I, I, I've been, I'm, I'm now, I'm earnestly contending for the faith, not just my own faith, but now for those who are under me, I'm earnestly contending. That is the awesome thing about the body of Christ is that we're all working together, striving to one day be presented as a holy bride before Jesus Christ. We're earnestly contending together for each other for the faith. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and 2, he says, And the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit those to faithful men who shall also teach others. Paul and Jude, they give us a master class on how to have spiritual discernment in our life. Grow in your relationship to God. Guard the faith. Hold it fast. Contend for the faith. And then teach others. There's this common expression that we use in the medical field whenever we have new nurses coming in, they're trying to start an IV or whatever that new skill may be. We say, see one, do one, teach one. I'm sure that everybody probably has some variation of that in their own jobs. And that is how it has to be in our lives for discernment. We, we see it modeled and we follow after, we do it, and then what do we do? We teach others. Because whenever you teach others, you not only strengthen yourself in the Word of God, you also strengthen someone else. It's not just you pouring everything into your own life and holding it on to yourself. No, now you're pouring it out into the lives of others. Our musicians can come. The Old Testament, it gives us warning after warning about false prophets that will arise and the Israel, that they would become ensnared by their enticing words. Jeremiah chapter 23. I wish we had time to just go through and read the whole chapter. Write it, mark it down, and go read it this week. It gives us a glimpse of a terrible time in Israel's history. It describes it like this. It says, the sheep have been scattered because pastors... It says, uses the word pastors in uh, Jeremiah 23 and 1, have willfully destroyed them. It says the land is full of adulterous prophets and they give words of false hope. God says that they prophesy with words. He said, I didn't tell them to say that and they're saying that I told them to say that. It's so bad that the people are turning to prophets of Baal to be able to get a word from God. That's how bad it is. And as bad as that sounds, it's not that foreign to what we see even here today. Because there are adulterous men who have disqualified themselves, but they still get up and preach. There are congregations that have been scattered because they have no roots in their own spiritual walk. There's even a branch, I read a book, Counterfeit Kingdom, you should go and read it. And it describes these quasi-Pentecostal charismatic groups and they engage in new age practices like grave soaking where they lay on the grave with somebody that's been dead forever and they want that spirit to come up into, into them. They engage in occultic new age practices 
Just like those people in Israel, they're going to Baal to try to find a supernatural touch from God. Why? Because they have lost what God has said in His Word. They didn't have any roots that went down. And so now they're thinking, well, I'll, I'll go to Baal. I'll go to the new way. I'll go to the occult. I'll go wherever I have to find some kind of spiritual experience. Just because it's a spiritual experience, just because that fruit looked pleasant to the eyes does not mean it is good for your soul. My mind instantly went to Hosea's words, Hosea 4 and 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. Brothers and sisters, I am tired of Satan destroying people for lack of knowledge. I'm tired of seeing worldly new age practices influence our worship services. I'm tired of preaching that is high on emotion and low on the Bible. I'm tired of it. Why? Because the people were destroyed for lack of knowledge. The the, the flock, the Bible says, had been scattered. What a terrible thing to look down and see a flock of, of helpless sheep who are just scattered all over the place, who are looking for supernatural occurrences. And by the prophets of Baal, what a terrible thing that is. They've been destroyed for a lack of knowledge because they didn't grow, because they didn't hold fast, because they didn't guard the deposit, because they didn't earnestly contend for the faith, because they didn't teach it to others. You can stand here this morning. If you think that Satan is just going to roll over and play dead because he sees the end times coming, then you have not read the book of Revelation. If there was ever a time for us to say, I have got to know who God is. I have got to know how He reveals Himself to me through His Word. I have got to be filled with the Spirit, church. That time is now. That time is now. You don't want to be scattered. You don't want to be looking for supernatural things, being like Saul going down to the witch of Endor. What are you doing, Saul? Why are you looking for a false way? Look to God. God, fill us with your spirit. God, fill us with discernment. These altars are open. I want to pray for you here this morning. Lord, God, we know that we have an enemy of our soul who is going to come against us with everything that he has. He's not going to play fair. But God, you have given us the remedy. You have given us the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You have filled us with your Spirit so that we could walk in discernment and know for a fact what is true and what is false. God, this morning, Lord, let us have a desire in our hearts, Lord, for ourselves to preserve our own soul, Lord, but also for those who are under us, for our children, for the new converts, Lord, for those who haven't grown, Lord. God, I pray that you would give us a wake-up call here this morning. Lord, let us grow. Let us hold fast. Let us guard the deposit. Let us contend for the faith. And God, let us teach others, Lord. Let your word God, let it have found some good soil this morning. 
Lord, that you could grow, God, that you could impact our lives, Lord, day by day, so that we can be, God, just a small part in your kingdom, Lord, to bring you glory one day. In Jesus' name. How I trust.